0: I'm Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Changemakers. Black economic empowerment relies on thinking bigger than you may have ever imagined before. In fact, much bigger. These are the words of my guest today, Eric Collins, and are contained in his new book, We Don't Need Permission. It's a clarion call to take out your trump card, charge it up, and go change the world for good. And it's far more than the words of an author, because this is the story of an economic activist. A CEO of the London based venture firm ImpactX, Eric has built a business with a double bottom line mission to advance progress and social mobility for underrepresented founders and to generate returns for investors by funding the undiscovered and creating the extraordinary. If you're looking for the story of business as a force for good, this is it. Eric, welcome to Changemakers.
1: Thank you for having me, Michael. It's good being here.
0: Oh, listen, I mean, you know, I, I've, I've been looking forward to this interview, not least because I've read your book. I think it's a real triumph and we're going to go into that. But I think just in terms of setting your career, if I can, you know, sort of just call out some of this kind of career highlights, the greatest hits, you know, you've successfully helped at the value of companies, including AOL, Time Warner, SwiftKey, you've served under President Obama's Small Business Administration Council on underserved communities, named by the powerless as one of the most influential black people in Britain, and by the Financial Times as one of the UK's top 100 BAME leads. I feel almost almost exhausted reading out your list of achievements. I mean, really, you didn't need permission for very much at all,
1: did you, Eric? I love that you actually get the name of the book in there, too, yes. (laughs) The idea that not needing permission is one of the key constructs of my life, that if you're going to ask other people for permission, it's going to immediately cause you to be in a position Of a request and being sort of in a one-down position, which might be fine, but if you're going to start on the back foot, you need to have another step that you have to take, and why take that extra step? I
0: thought it was a wonderful phrase in the book where you said, nothing is as liberating as throwing off the mental shackles that form alongside the need to ask for permission. Bring that to life for us.
1: Think about it. So many ways in which all of us, Michael, are asking for permission, whether or not it's, can I join your club? May I have this promotion? Am I good enough? Am I uh, wise enough? Am I able enough to be sitting here with you and doing some interesting things with you? From my perspective, that is fine because we all have to ask permission for some things. It's not as though we can just go through life in a civil society, just doing whatever we wish. But when I think about people like Jeff Bezos, or I think about people like uh, Kathy Hughes, these are individuals who have disrupted the way that we do things in a fundamental fashion. And they didn't come to me. They didn't go to you and say, can I, may I do this? Is it possible? They do ask a type of permission, i.e. putting forward something and saying, this is something you can use if it works for you. And then eventually we all get co-opted into using their systems, using their their products, using their services. And we therefore are giving them um, implicit permission. And from my perspective is too many of us wait though and don't think like Jeff Bezos that we could actually be a very big organization and we don't require someone to let us, to say to us, yes, it's okay for you to do that. And I think especially among underrepresented people, women and people of colour, that we spend a whole lot of time trying to get the system to say, you're okay, And this is something that you should do and you have permission to do it. And we have to stop that if we want to actually make substantial and change, substantial and enduring change.
0: Well, I want to I want to go on to your your 10 your 10 steps for for change. But before we do that, what I want to do is really talk about. The timing of this book, because, Mm -hmm. you know, you you talked about that this was the time because, you know, whether you're living in the developed or the developing world, if you're a black person, you are more than twice as likely to be living in poverty than your white counterparts. So Mm -hmm. just pick up the story from there, Eric, in terms of because, you know, heart and soul, this is the book about what we can do about that very depressing fact.
1: And let's bring it home to the UK. If you are in the UK in 2018, if you're a child in the UK and you're Black, one in two of us are living in poverty. Below the poverty line, one in two Black children. If you're a white child, it's one in five. The idea that that is okay, and that that has persisted and that persisted before COVID, that persisted before this economic downturn where we have now an estimation of what, 18 percent inflation rates that are coming forward. People who are living just on the edge and many of us are falling below that edge. The question is, what do we do about it? And in my opinion, the only way that we're going to actually make substantive change is for individuals who are impacted by these situations, Black, brown women, that we need to take control of it. And the only way to do that is to have the means of capital by which we can actually do that, i.e. that we are building businesses. And in a single generation, some of the businesses that are being built around the world have influenced the way that we function in specific ways. So think about an organization like Tesla and think about Elon Musk. You didn't know Elon Musk 20 years ago. Elon Musk is dominating every broadsheet in the UK, in the US, in Australia, and Uganda today. That is a situation and the type of power that does not exist within the hands of any woman, does not exist within the hands of any person of color. And that needs to change. And if we want to have a tool, which we can add to all the other tools, um, suing, marching, collaborating, the thing that we'd have never had is we've never had a FTSE 100 company started by a a person of color who's a black woman. We have never had a, a, a Fortune 500 company started by a black man. Those things, if we were to change that and those were started and we, Could have the same sort of impacts that Apple does, the same sort of impacts Uber does in everything from economic policy to employment policy that would be a game changer for yeah. women and people of color.
0: And, and you see, I think the really interesting, exciting point about this is that if I'd been doing this interview 10 years ago, let's mm-hmm. say, then the person that would have made all of those comments about change mm-hmm. would have been by nature a civil rights demonstrator, uh, demonstrator or activist. They might have been a politician. It would have been unlikely that it would have been a business leader or an entrepreneur who would have seen that. Within business, the tools of change were open to them. I mean, is this the time now also where business can play a decisive role in making change happen?
1: I think business has got to take business all over the world is making decisive um, impacts on a day to day basis. Think about Starbucks. Think about Costa. Think about organizations like Uber. We are finding in every jurisdiction around the world government's having to contend with the gig economy, having to think about what are the employment rights? How do we define employment in the first place? Businesses are very much impacting the day-to-day lives and Mm. the decisions that are being made, not only in the individual family level, but at the government level. And that is the thing that we don't have women of color and women and people of color who are actually part of that conversation. And that is what we need to change. And now is the time. ImpactX, which is the company that I run, is investing in underrepresented entrepreneurs We're investing in companies that are run by women and people of color, and we're investing in the UK and Europe because we know that they're deep wells of talent. And from that, we believe that the next Amazon is going to come from a black woman in Bristol. We believe that the Mm -hmm. next... Airbnb is going to come from a uh, black man in Germany. We understand that that is the that is the possibility that actually exists, and when that actually happens, and we help them to start the business and grow the business, and then become all that they can be, we will then have a different kind of a world. Meaning, we'll have different sorts of opportunities available, not just for the founders, but for the people that they employ. And we know. That instead of trying to retrofit for DEI and, and say that we need to have some diversity initiative, they have different DMA and, and think differently about who to hire and have at the table.
0: And, and you say, I suppose that the really front footed express, expression of that is I mean, you, you describe it as a market inefficiency. Mm-hmm. Just 1% of VC funding goes into Black founded businesses in, in the same way that when you're looking at, at something like reparations for, for slavery, you've mm. talked about the fastest way to achieve progress for black people is to invest in their businesses. I mean, this is very much the kind of the business response to these broader social sort of social injustices and social challenges. And I think, I think that's what what makes, what makes the book so interesting and also gives your voice such a freshness in this debate.
1: I'm glad you noted that, Michael, because, you know, quite frankly, And we could have a conversation about, do we need to overhaul the system? And the question of that probably needs to be debated, but it's not going to be debated by me. Instead, what I'm going to debate is the question of who owns the resources and the resources that are therefore available in order to fund not just moments, but also missions. I think to myself that, you know, George Floyd was murdered in front of our eyes in 2020. A lot of attention was turned to inequities that existed in the world. Here in Europe, we had lots of people, and in in the UK, we had lots of people marching in the streets. You know, unprecedented during COVID that people are going to come out and march. In any case, we then fast forward a few years later. So now it's 2022. Inflation is at a high. We have a war that's going on in the Ukraine, and we still have lots and lots of Black children who are living in poverty? But the tide has turned. The new cycle has moved on. The situation which is underlying has not, unless we have the resources to be able to keep that front and center. The issue of you know that poverty being something that has to be dealt with, and we don't, and we have the resources that are coming from communities that care about that all the time and are affected by it all the time, as opposed to it being the flavor of the moment then we are going to never be able to change in a sustainable fashion, the inequities that exist. And we know that capital is absolutely imperative. And it's one of the things that has never sort of existed. So, you know, the Russian doll of problems that exists. you know, there's inequity in terms of income, there's inequity in terms of household ownership, there's inequity in terms of educational outcomes, there's inequity in terms of health outcomes, all of those things are things which have to be addressed, and they have to be addressed systemically. And systemic redress requires capital. And whoever is able to then provide the capital to keep the attention of the public, the attention of government, the attention of business, and the attention of ourselves will be the person or the organizations can help solve the problem sustainably, meaning durably. That's what I'm looking for. And that's why now is the moment.
0: That's also why I suppose businesses like Marshmallow, of which you are an investor in, are so totemic in terms of being really the the, the shape of things to come, the the idea that actually you can invest in change, make it happen, and see a successful business as, as a result. Is that how you see it?
1: I certainly think of Marshmallow as being a great example, Michael. Marshmallow, we invested, they're an insure tech company. They're helping people who find it hard to find reasonable priced insurance for automotive to get it those are generally young people and people who are expats if you're an expat coming to the UK because your driver's record your driving record doesn't follow you you'll often pay five times as much as a person in a similar situation who's here in the UK whose driver's driving record can be brought over so using AI and sort of scraping data they're able to marshmallows able to connect the driver to their driving record and therefore able to then match them up with the right sort of insurance premium great so you can then take your child to school you can become a carer you can actually drive drive, your Uber, whatever you'd like to do, those are things which you can do because now you can actually have insurance. That organization is started by two Black Britons, Oliver and Alexander, twins. They're, they're identical twins. They started this organization and with another friend, they have built an organization when we invested was about 30 million in uh, as a pre money valuation within 18 months of our investment, they were worth 1.2 billion in terms of their valuation. And they were the second black unicorn to come out of Europe and the UK mm. right behind um, World Remit. And so that was an organization which is now rebranded, but that was the first organization. Then you have the second organization, Marshmallow. Marshmallow, during that entire time has been able to maintain 50% women in a technology organization. This is a technology play, and they've been able to have 50% women and 20% people of color in key positions. That is very miraculous as we think about what the general C-suite looks like and what the board looks like of fast growth technology companies in the UK and then what the engineering organizations look like also. Here, you've shown an organization that actually gives us a roadmap of what the future could look like. And I believe it's because of who sits in the driver's seat that that has changed who actually is a passenger on that bus and what are they doing on that bus. Mm. And that is what we seek to do. Mm. So there are real world examples, returning capital at great rates. My investors are extremely happy with the returns that we're getting from investing in underrepresented entrepreneurs right into that inefficiency that you had mentioned before.
0: Right. Now, I want to go back to the book, if I may. I want to invest a couple of minutes in interview tennis. I'm going to throw mm-hmm. you a theme from your book and I'd like mm-hmm. you to pitch it back to us in terms because I think there are I think there, are, there are 10 great steps that you've you've outlined. So I'm just going to punch them out there, Eric, and then just give us a thought back for listeners mm-hmm. in terms of what matters. Embrace the unexpected.
1: Look, my pathway has not been a traditional one and it hasn't been straightforward. Most of the people that you would look at who are entrepreneurs who led to greatness in terms of the outcomes of their business and building great value for economies as well as for all stakeholders are people who have taken twists and turns in their journey. Embracing the unexpected is all about catching lightning in a bottle when it hits and being prepared for that. That's something which is extremely important. Disrupt. I believe that disruption is the key term that we all need to embrace as um, people who want social change if, or societal change. If you don't disrupt, that means you're maintaining the status quo. You're being conservative. You want things to stay as they are. Why in the world, if it's not working for you, would you not wish to disrupt at fundamental levels what is going on? Disruption is your tool to actually affect the kind of change that you're looking for.
0: Like Kev Small. Think bigger.
1: I think too many people are building these days what I would call lifestyle firms, organizations that are built around creating a certain amount of income for me and the life that I'd like to lead with this kind of house, this sort of family, this sort of automobile, and this sort of um, holiday. Instead of doing that, I believe that we need to look a little bit more broadly. Let's think about big businesses that are really changing the world, those, and even though most economies are built on small business, small, small businesses, it is a group of very large businesses that make an impact on a global scale. So we have to think globally around the opportunities as well as the problems that we can address. There's no reason why we just have to stay at home and stay within our shores. There's no reason you have to do that.
0: We're going great. Okay, let's keep moving. Take risks and use data to mitigate downside.
1: You know, the, the, the kind of thing that we find with organizations from Google straight through to meta is that they're using and Netflix is that they're using data that we generate for them in order to make choices about what else do we get. So think about YouTube. It's making a recommendation based on data, based on your past actions. We should always be using data. It is the secret ingredient to making less risky and less costly mistakes. So take as much data as you can, whether it be what your customers are telling you they like or dislike. When you look at your end of the month in terms of your stock list, what is it there, what's in stock and what's out of stock, all of those pieces of data or what should be informing. Just formalize that process and make it part of your mantra of doing good business.
0: Put your money where your mouth is.
1: I'm very surprised when I find that there are people in the world who actually use money in, or, and give money to organizations that are working against their best interest. If an, if a country, if a state, if a province, if a city, whatever wherever it is that you're living in, or if a company is not supporting you, and they're actually working against the things which are important to you and fundamentally uh, counteract the values that you ha- that you hold dear that is not where you should be spending your money i believe the deliberate use of your capital anyone can do. You can make a decision. This is not a person who is treating me well. This is an organization that doesn't do the things I'd like. They don't promote women. They don't promote people of color. I am not going to put my money into those organizations. Even if I love, you know, Apple, I'm just not going to be able to use them because they do not follow through in terms of making sure that the world that I wish to see is the world that they're actually implementing. So I think it's very deliberate.
0: Leverage what you know.
1: So I think that there are a lot of people in the world who look at problems and say, you know what? I could solve this problem, but they are visitors as opposed to natives to that problem set that they're talking about. What we do at Impact Dex is we're constantly looking for people who have years and years, if not decades of experience, and then using that decades of experiences to understand the ecosystem and say that if I disrupt this, this is going to be the result. If I do this, this is going to have an outsized impact in terms of making this a better system. That's where you find great products and services and you find innovators that then change the world. That's what I'm saying sort of leverage what you know and don't try and do as much inferring of things that you've never spent much time with.
0: Right, we're moving on. Become a convener by making your mission bigger than yourself.
1: You know, you and I were talking about one of my colleagues who I worked for when I came to the UK named John Reynolds, who he and his um, colleague, Ben Medlock, started SwiftKey. They had to, as friends, get more than themselves around the table in order to bring their vision to life. An AI company that's used in the consumer tech space that is going to change the way people communicate. That means that they have to persuade people that it makes sense, that they want to work here, that they want to take risks along with them. They can move quickly if they are just the two of them working together, but they can move so much more effectively if there are many people working together. So mm-hmm. I believe that you need to convene. And so becoming a convener is actually part of a leadership skill in order to build the kinds of businesses which then plow through and become make the sort of changes we want to see in the world, disruptive and otherwise.
0: Invest in women to create alpha. This
1: is, I, this is an inefficiency argument. Again, in the UK in uh, 2020, 2021, less than 3% of venture capital went to women. More than 50% of the population is made up of women. Unless we believe that women are inherently unable to be creative and be disruptive, then we must say that there's something wrong with the amount of capital which is allocated to women. And quite frankly, it's, only, it's if you're thinking about investing, you want to invest in places where other people don't see opportunity and you see an opportunity. So invest in places where there are inefficiencies. If there are a few, few dollars and cents, pounds and pence being invested in women, You invest in women because the likelihood of getting good valuations and then getting great returns on that is much higher. So that's what we do. We invest in women because that's inefficient. There's inefficient investing going on there right this minute. Sell your vision. You can't. It's great to be sitting at home with a great idea, but you're going to have to at some point push out into the world. And that vision is going to have to be sold to other people. Other people are going to have to embrace that vision. We start talked a little bit about employees, but beyond that, it's going to be clients. Customers and eventual consumers. You've got to be able to sell your vision because you've got to convene a very diverse and a very wide table to help you to be successful if you're going to build global scale businesses, like I believe are necessary in order to address
0: inequities. Always bet on black.
1: Always bet on black. It's another inefficiency. It's not, I mean, I borrowed from gambling, right? But it's another inefficiency conversation that again, with less than 1%, that's and that number's for the United States, that less than 1% of venture capital going to un- to entrepreneurs of black entrepreneurs in the UK, it's less than 0.24%. So less than a quarter of a percent of the venture capital that's actually given to all companies goes to black founders. There's an inefficiency there. You invest in that inefficiency. The returns are phenomenal. I point to Marshmallow as an example.
0: Go, Eric. You've done your book and all ten steps in How about three minutes. How was that? That was a. I tell you what, you're made for TV. Speaking of which, let's talk about the money maker. How did you find wow. that?
1: <laughs> you know, Michael. It, it, see, you are someone who <laughs> understands media, and you have, and you can participate very effectively. For me, it's very strange to be in a situation where you, where you're supposed to be followed around with a camera, and you're supposed to meet these fantastic organizations, advise them all under the hot, glaring lights, not of the studio, because we didn't do Studio work, but in the hot glaring lights of the public watching you and evaluating everything that you do and trying to present in a way that's sort of in keeping with how your company, ImpactX, works and how I think about organizations, mm-hmm. and yet doing something which is televisual. You know, people don't want to just watch me sort of sitting at a computer writing emails. That's not that interesting. But to see the interactions and to hopefully see some transformative, I mean, think about it. In some ways, the moneymaker is like a Cinderella story. Sitting in obscurity mm-hmm. are a number of organizations that would never otherwise. Why see a person like me? Because they're in the you know they're in the rolling hills of Sussex, or they're in a or they're in a um, industrial state in Birmingham. Eric comes in, finds them, and helps to introduce them to Uber. I helped to introduce them to Morrisons. I helped to introduce them to Bread Ahead. All of a sudden, the world opens up. Those things don't just happen. So we have to you know it was an interesting experience for me. But the kinds of entrepreneurs that the UK produces in those small spaces are among the world's best. These mm. are individuals with great ideas. They have are hardworking, and they are tenacious because those are organizations that have not had the advantages of a bunch of, you know, Oxford and Cambridge educated venture capitalists coming in and buying for their business, a bunch of banks who really want to bank with them. They have none of that. They don't have Mm. advisors, they don't have boards. And to then be able to survive as long as they have and under tough circumstances like COVID. I was very impressed, even though I had to make some hard choices about it.
0: You You did. did. And I I watched it and I greatly enjoyed it. And I have to tell you, I mean, the thing that you've said about about the fairy tale. I hadn't thought about it like that, but you're right, because you know, you gave these businesses connections and opportunities that otherwise would have been, you know, just just dreams, really. And I think that by making those dreams come true, I suppose on one level you saw those that saw opportunity and were able to take it, mm-hmm. and, and some of those that didn't. But yeah. but it also made me think about how important making connections actually is in terms of growing a business. I mean, is, is that how, I mean, I see you nodding. So I'm, I'm presuming you felt that also.
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I think it's key. Your network, and this is one of the reasons why women and people of color have a challenge. The networks that they have are vast and very are very useful networks, but possibly not as useful for the next stage of growth that we're talking about. They don't necessarily have great relationships at Coots Bank. They don't necessarily know one of the vice chairs at um, KPMG. They don't necessarily know the managing partner of one of the Magic Circle law firms. Those sorts of things mean that there are limitations to what their, their data set that they can then draw upon, especially when there's a problem like COVID, which is an unprecedented problem. There's inflation like we have now, an unprecedented problem. Where do they go to? Where do they go to get that help? And so when I come in as the moneymaker, I think they heave a sigh of relief. The challenge is right after heaving a sigh of relief, they get my transformation plan, which is something they maybe never thought about. You know, did they ever think that they should be bottling sauces and then sending those sauces through Morrison's, Waitrose, and other sort of places? They hadn't thought about that. And it creates a whole different set of challenges for them. And then also it makes them question, what was the original intent of the business? Was it really to be a small lifestyle business or did I really want to have a, you know, country changing, if not a world changing impact? And so those sorts of things are existential questions for them. As you were asking the question, Michael, though, I thought to myself, am I actually the fairy godmother of the UK? I'm like, wave that one. To... Wave it. Wave but, it. Wave, wave, it, wave, wave,
0: it. That, wave that one. But, I mean, the thing is, though, is that if you read your early story, work with President Obama, mm-hmm. you know, sort of look like you were all set for a life and a career and an impact in the States. Mm-hmm. You, you come over here on a what you thought originally was going to be around about a 700-day adventure. Under, mm-hmm. two, under two years, eight years later, mm-hmm. you're going strong. You're building your life here. You're making an impact here. Why the UK?
1: You know, why not the UK? Because quite frankly, the UK has got all the ingredients of a great recipe. It's got the educational heft. It's got the location. It's even got... I just watched the, you know, I was obsessed with the Commonwealth games as I've been obsessed with the European championships and you think there is there's all of this talent which flows into this into this relatively small island mm. and it has been doing it for centuries if not millennia and from there there's so many things that can then be stretched out to the rest of the world particularly as I think about the commonwealth all those countries that used to call this mother england it's very much a place where you could if you can if you can make it there to a certain extent, then you can actually take the things that you are doing so well in England and maybe apply them in Uganda, Kenya, South Africa, Nigeria, Ghana. I think, quite frankly, that the connection between the fastest growing economies in the world and the UK and other parts of Europe is a strategic advantage of investing through the UK and Europe. I really do believe that the bicultural nature of people who have come here understand, and whether it was five generations ago or last week, understand sort of how things function in Europe and the UK and then are able to apply that not only to that economy, but then other economies have a great competitive advantage of these growing spaces and these growing resources mm. in another portion of the world. So for me, India is the same way. You know, it's, it's, there are all sorts of ways in so, which large populations are available. So,
0: so you're, basically, you're basically rewriting Frank Sinatra as New York, New York, because if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. There I mean I think go. that's but let's not lose the music link because I oh. couldn't, I couldn't finish this interview with asking you about the dance moves that you use for Bill Withers lovely day. <laughs> if, I take you, if I take you to the Powerless dinner at the Savoy in October 2021, which is where your book
1: starts and finishes. Tell us about it. So, Michael, you have read this book a little too closely. My goodness. And I, I'm not sure I'm not sure my mother wants to know that I was dancing at Savoy, but we're, we're going to go with this. So, um, Michael, it, this, the Power List is an opportunity, and that's how I describe it in the book. It is a place where Black Britain, who are involved in corporations, their own businesses, services firms, et cetera, come to govern, it, come together and celebrate once a year the achievement of people of color, and particularly Black people. And that is an opportunity to actually sort of say, these are some of the extraordinary things which are happening. Not so that we can then advertise that to the rest of the UK, but so that within the organization, we know that the ecosystem is growing and deepening. And sitting there singing Lovely Day and being led in that by the choir that sang at the Duke and Duchess of Sussex's wedding was very, it was, it was, it It was very out of body because Mm. you're sort of sitting here I'm thinking of this as an American song, an American anthem. I'm sitting among a group of Brits, someone who people who've just come off their fame, you know, being seen by millions, hundreds of millions, if not billions of people around the world at a wedding, and sitting here saying that what we're trying to do is create the future that we wish to see. And we're going to sing it into existence. We're going to, you know, write checks into, into existence. We're going to work hard to existence, but we're going to bring that to fruition. And it's going to be a lovely day. A lovely day. So, quite frankly, it was a great, it was a great way for me to have an f- October day in 2021 when I was when I was writing about this. 2020, I think, when I was writing
0: about yeah, this. Eric, thank you for making my day. Thank you so
1: much for joining me on Changemakers. Thank you very much, Michael. Fantastic questions. And now I've got to think about my dance moves for next time.
0: <laughs> Changemakers is brought to you by the campaign's firm, Seven Hills, and presented by me, Michael Heyman. Pure Being is the name of our soundtrack, and it's written and performed by the brilliant Beatty Wolf. To find out more, head over to changemakers.works And if you like what you hear, why not give us a rating?